The Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. The one-stop shop for all your building and DIY products. Hello there. Uh, thanks for downloading the Old Gold Club podcast. We'll get you to the podcast in a minute. Just a reminder that we are doing a live show at the Wolverhampton Grand Theatre. It's Friday, June the 7th. Tickets very competitively priced. Just start at just £10. Uh, apparently, it's going to be you know at a time in the summer when, uh, as our boss says, people are just itching for football. Just desperate to be there. And that's what we are going to deliver. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, what time's that? It's uh, going to start around about 8 o'clock, I think. It's a little bit late, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit late? I don't think so. It's a proper <laughs> Friday night out, this. Friday, June the 7th. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. Where can people get their tickets from? Yeah, the grandtheatre.co.uk. So, uh, yeah, go spend. Come and see us. It's going to be a great night. So, hello and welcome to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, as ever, Mr. Chris Wellamo. You all right? Morning. Yeah, very good. Thank you. And uh, also with us this week is Mr. Steve Froggett. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Good. Um, you've just been regaling us with tales of your nearly two decades in the media. Yeah, it's been a long... I mean, I've, I've, I was probably in the media longer than I actually played. I think as a professional, I had 10 years... From the age of 18, retired when I was 27, then went straight working for Radio WM, Radio 5 Live, uh, you know, and, and I had 17 fantastic years doing it. What what, what kind of, was it something that you naturally fell into then? Obviously you speak very well, uh, come across well, know the game of course, but what is it something, because it's not a natural path for, for a lot of players, isn't it? No, I'll th- I tell you what it was, Chris, it was when, when I was a player, and you know what it's like yourself now, you're on the other side, these guys are doing a job. And they're not there to stitch you up. Maybe some of the big nationals, you know, newspapers are always after a story to, to trip you up sometimes. But the local press guys are some of the you know, nicest guys you'll yeah. ever wish to meet. So I, I, wherever club I was at, I'd always put myself forward, even if we got beat, even if I had a, I had a shock of myself, and was always honest. And it was because of that. I, the day I retired, I got a few calls from you know, a few of the lads um, in the media. Uh, Pat Murphy, particularly, Radio 5 Live, got me involved with them. Um, and that was really the start of it. Because it's an interesting thing, actually, because you do find it sometimes with players that like, there are certain players like Connor Cody, for instance, right now. Connor Cody will speak to anybody. Yes. No matter what the result is, he will front up and he will talk about it. Dave Edwards was always like that yeah. for Wolves. And especially when I started working for the club and you had a situation where you know you, you had a bad result... And you've got to, you've got you know you've got to put someone up to speak to the media. Yeah, you'd go right. Well, it's going to be Richard Stearman, Dave Edwards, or Connor Cody because they're the three that we know will will front up and do it, and we can trust them not to say anything too wild. I think there was a period in time where players started to get a little bit precious, where they wouldn't speak to the press, and then that started to get the backs of the press corps up because. You know, it was also like they felt they were too good to talk to the press anymore, and I think I think that was a, a huge mistake for that for for a generation of players that did that. Um, you know, I could say Paul Scholes never spoke with the press ever. Now he's working yeah. for the press, so it's a bit, you know, a bit a little bit hypocritical, I guess, at times. Do you think that's a that's a two way thing, though, isn't it? You know, that they've got to have the respect for each other. I I agree with you. I think there's a divide there, but I think there's certain things that maybe the football players, because maybe the nationals have put all the, the media in the same box yes. of thought, right, okay, and that, that creates a distance. You know, but we've seen what happened the other day, like the, the fan running on and fans sending pictures in of players in hotels. What the I think it was, uh, I can't remember the, the English players, the two of them. Deli Alley was yeah. one, wasn't it? Little things like that, 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 that push makes that divide a little bit bigger, you know, yeah. and I think... Uh, I don't know, I think the media... Gone are the days that the, the locals can sit in with the manager now in the office and talk about these players. Because we, we've had managers on here saying that that was a relationship that they had. Yeah, that, yeah. They were a scouting network sometimes that were used by managers because they trusted the journalists. Oh, yeah, have you seen that young player here and there? And I just think it's a two-way relationship that definitely can can be better. Well, I think I think social media has changed the entire outlook for players now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I played in a generation where we could drink, we could pretty much do what we wanted to. Um, and I look at young players and the scrapes they get themselves into. And, and I've, I've got a great empathy for the young players because when I broke into the first team when I was 18 years of age, it's scary. You go from, I went from a, like a really poor council estate kid to, to 
within the space of two months playing in a, a team that was flying high at the top of the Premier League, playing in England under twenty ones, and being a little bit startled by it at times. So you go out, you have a, you know, you go from a bit going out for a night out to being no one would recognise you to then getting all this attention. And yeah, you, you have a few drinks and you you make a few mistakes, but that's yeah. that's part of growing up and part of actually becoming a better person. Yet you see the young lads now getting vilified for a night out. I still think there's there's room there for young lads to enjoy themselves. You, you've got to re- football such a pressurised environment a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You need a release valve. You've got to let go a little bit. Everybody's got to do that. But the problem is now everyone's there with a the camera. Yeah. Everyone's there with a the microphone. The, the, the young lads they must at times feel really trapped in the yeah. and 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 then that's how they deal with the press. They they have this like cocoon around them where <clears throat> I'm not talking to nobody. And I think that's a shame, Chris, because when they retire from the game, I think I'm convinced you're going to have a generation of footballers that will be in a, a horrible mess because they don't know how to deal with circumstances out in the real world. You know, I retired at 27 and I've had a proper job. Yeah. You know, the media was, was like my hobby job, in effect. Yeah. I've actually, you know, I've, been, I've, been a, I've worked in the real world for, for most of that time since. And it's a completely different environment to the football world. The things you can say, the stuff you get away with. And I think there's a generation of, of players that are going to come out at the other end and it's going to be a real shock to them. You know what, you're, you're talking now, you're saying because you've retired, you're looking back. When you were 18, you said that you went from Council Estate to then playing in the Premier League on England under-21s. You said startled. Would you say, Steve Frog, at, 20, at 18 or 19, were you startled then as a player? Or you talk about it now, maybe I should have done this or done that in a different way? Or did you just take it in your in your stride? Well, as a for instance, I, I, I'd never been on holiday abroad in my life. We, we've stayed in the same caravan in Skegness, 17 years on the trot. So let me tell you that, there was no need for suntan cream on the beach in Skegness. <laughs> I know well, I know right? well. <laughs> and you see the jolly fisherman, which says it's bracing. That is not a joke, by the way. So I went on my first uh, trip when I was 18 years of age. And we went on tour, didn't put any sun cream in. I'm, I'm sat drinking with Kevin Richardson and Nigel Spett and the senior pros, Andy Townsend, Aston Villa, drinking beer on the beach, not a spot of sun cream on. I got that badly burnt. I had to get, I, I was put in hospital for four days on the drip <laughs> because I got, I got th- third degree burns all over my body because I didn't put sun cream on. So th- that's naivety. Another night when we was out there, I got, I got that paralytic. I actually fell asleep in a gutter two yards outside the hotel. I'll never forget because Big Ron and Andy Gray had to strip me naked and put me back to bed at the end of a night out. Now, can you imagine nowadays yeah. if a young player was in that situation where they're doing that? Yeah. And, and, and I've always been, you know, I've, I've never had trouble anywhere in my career and I didn't get into any bother anywhere. Yeah. I sort of I laid myself low. I kept myself out the, out the limelight as best I could. But even I... Had moments where I look back, and it, but I laugh at it, I, and I don't see it. I see it was a, it was my learning curve of dealing with the pressure, of dealing with certain situations, and it made me, you know, it made me a better, better player and a yeah. better person. I think because <laughs> this is the thing, like I, I've known Steve, like in, from press rooms and stuff, and press boxes for quite a while, and I've spoken to you, and I used to have you come onto my show when I was at Sky and stuff, and it's like. I listened to you say some of this stuff and you were telling us beforehand how you just had, you didn't have a wardrobe, you had a floor drobe. And I'm thinking like, you were an idiot when you were a teenager. <laughs> like you thought you, you were on a drip for four days because you were a sunburn. This is ridiculous. But when you, when you come from an environment where, I mean, we, you know, we were poor. Yeah. And you have nothing. You, you don't know any better. You don't know. What, you, you've never been on a foreign holiday. You, you don't have fancy clothes. I mean, my, my first, my first. When I made my debut, I had. We was I was my I was on YTS, so I was on twenty odd quid a week. Okay, so I couldn't afford any clothes. It just just wasn't even on the radar of of, of buying anything. So I, I had this rank awful tweed jacket, and and one pair of black trousers. And after the game, I've come back into the dressing room, and the first I know I know who did it, cut the arms off my tweed jacket and turned my trousers into a pair of shorts. So I've looked at it. And I thought we we had a, we had a league game on the Tuesday. I'm thinking I'm going to nightmare. I can't afford. I just can't afford to buy anything. So I've I've put this, my jacket on, put my trousers shorts on. I went see you lads. See you on Monday morning. Walked out the dressing room. And I, I walked. I did the walk of shame through the car park and the fans and got into me, me little Fiesta, which was worth about £2.50. <laughs> on the Monday morning, there's a suit carrier on my peg. So I said to one of the press, I said, listen, there's a, there's a suit carrier there. 
must be belongs to one of the lads. Oh, no, no, it's yours. So anyway, I've opened it up. The first team squad had chipped in and bought me a brand new Hugo Boss suit, tie, shoes, everything. And the moral of the story of that was, had I have made a fuss of what they did, they'd have made me wear the same suit to the game, but because I took it on the chin... And and, it, and and you you in our you know you'd get this crit in our day, there were brutal lessons. Yes, taught, you know it, it was a ruthless environment that turned us into men. And whilst people say it was a level of I don't believe in buy into the bullying stuff because we we, we Paul Birch who was one of my best mates in the game God God rest his soul and and he signed for Wolves before I did, and <clears throat> back in the day he had curly permed hair so I, I used to have to knock on the dressing room door get on my hands and knees and go blomb and literally go blomb bombshell please may I clean your boots what doing the messiah every morning and if I didn't do that every morning they would chase me I swear the reason I was so quick is because all the first team players Alan McAnally and David Platt chased me around all the dressing room until I actually did clean his boots properly can I ask you something then that 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 you see it Tom's boys and Tim in and it probably thickens the skin because yeah no do you think that's lacking today then? Do you think the player today, the modern player, they do, they can shy away, it can be too much because they haven't experienced those, they haven't had those moments, those incidents happen to them? I think this is where the the, the current generation will have problems after football because I don't think they've they've had the tough schooling that, that I know we did. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, the, those sort of experiences of dealing with real adverse situations. Um yeah, I mean, I look back now and I think the dressing room I first played in and also the, the dressing room at Wolves, it was full of real men. I mean, you Jeff Thomas, Don Goodman, Bully, Tomo. It, it was a really manly dressing room and you had to be tough. It was a tough, tough environment, but it was a great way of learning. And when you hear lads now moaning and complaining about it's this and it's that, the, the alternative argument to that is if you look at how your likes of Morgan Gibbs weight, and that generation have grown up. World Cup winners, hugely successful. So there's, there's an element now people say, no, well, no, that, that doesn't work because we're now creating players of real quality now. Mm-hmm. But will they have the toughness, the hard school of knocks when you get your first injury, your first down, you know, you know it's like you, you, you're injured, you've got to deal with the, 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 the real horrible sides of that when you, you know, you're training on your own and all, the, all your mates are still out playing. It's those times when you're really put under the cosh, then can you come through it. Yeah. And that's kind of where I worry about th- this current generation yeah. of youngsters is, is when they go through that, will they have the tools available to them, not just as a football player, but in life afterwards? Yeah. Um, we will come back to this on uh, the show and the podcast a little bit later on. Just to finish off this part of the podcast, um, I put this out on social media a little while back because I was thinking about... Um, in the modern way that Wolves play, you would have been absolutely tailor-made perfect for that left wing back position. So I asked, put it out there on social media on if you could take one player from a different era and put them into the current team, who would it be? And I'm going to ask you both for a player from your eras that you think would settle into this current team in a minute let me just read out some of these that came in Nigel Davenport said Matt Murray he deserved a real crack at Premiership football and I'm adamant that he would have been England's number one uh, someone who calls himself macho man Oliver Butler says George Ellacobi because I miss him Andy Clark says Julian Lescott in place of Bennett who has been brilliant him and Bolly would be unreal Justin says Dean Richards or Julian Lescott as another ball playing centre half they would absolutely revel in being in this team Matt Cook is another who says Dean Richards a Rolls Royce of a defender he could slot into the back three seamlessly Paul Lappage says Jeff Thomas a complete box-to-box midfielder who would have excelled in a 3-4-3 or 5-3-2 Jason Little says Robbie Keane because he was pure class at the top level and would score a hatful in this team Adrian says Alex Ray midfield enforcer uh, someone who's called Golden Palace said Steve Bull this is the level he deserves to be at in a team that creates lots of chances. Dave Jenkins 
says Jeff Zico Palmer. He's called him. He could tackle better than Johnny, and he's my golf doubles partner, apparently. That's Dave Jenkins. Uh, Philip Jones. Mike Bailey would make a superb midfield three with Neves and Matinho. And Mark Ramsey says Kenny Hibbert on today's snooker table pitches, not being hacked up in the air, he would be incredible. I think you'd be superb in the wing back position that we currently have. But who else from your era? do you think would really fit the modern walls? Robbie. Keno. And I was lucky because I uh, <clears throat> I was with Robbie when he made his debut at Norwich in the in the game. And and you know I saw greatness from such a young boy. I mean he was so so mature not just physically but the his all-round game. He was a Premier League player playing in a team at 16 you could just see his, his awareness was years beyond anyone I'd seen and, and I had the great privilege of then playing with Robbie when he came to Coventry me not, not long after I went there so I played with Robbie in the Premier League and, and he set, set the club alight when he turned up so it, there's no, it was no surprise to me he went on to have the career he had but in this team particularly with his movement and that, that's where Robbie was <clears throat> where he excelled his movement his first touch was exceptional and he did it at top teams so he, he was at Inter Milan he did it at Tottenham he, he went wherever he went he was a really top player so I think Robbie would have been brilliant in this side yeah What about you Looms? Oh, I'm thinking I've, I've got probably the two that, that probably stand out you look at the likes of like a, a Michael Kiteley uh, I think Sylvan as well you know both them at their best I think would would slot in and, and, and do a job, you know. Kite's getting the ball, he creates, you know, he's always an outlet wanting it. When he's got it, he's he's direct, there's close control. Sylvan scores goals. It's the hardest thing to do in football, you know, I think with the right service. And when he you know what there was there was there was no one like him. You know, he yeah, he was a lazy sod, but you know what? If he scored, you see, but that's the thing, because in the modern walls, yes, the, you've got Raúl Jiménez, who's a completely different walks, type of forward all the time. Yeah, and I just think, yeah, when you think about it, yeah, I'm thinking Michael Kitely probably slots in. We, we touched on Kevin Foley as well. I think he he's he has that in him that he can get up and down, comfortable, defends well. Uh, you know that we that 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 team that that we got promoted with that, that like, we played ex, like, expansive game. You know we were out there. Probably defensively, not, not wasn't was it at the forefront? It was about going out and going and scoring goals and creating chances. And you know, I would say about a David Jones and a Carl Henry, but I know that the fans gave Carl a lot of work. But he done he he done a job in there that that a lot of fans never really really seen. And I did say to Carl, yeah, you, you got to you got to go forward. You can't. He was one of the best finishers at the club. Carl, he'd come and do finishing every day, but. He, 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 we said to him, didn't we, when we had him on? And he said his first thing was, let's just keep get that first little pass in, keep the ball, keep possession of the ball. And he, had, he if he if Carl brought goals to his game, he'd go and play probably the maybe the top the top six in the Premier League. He had everything else. It's a fascinating uh, thing to get into. Um, keep them coming. Old Gold Club at Wolves.co.uk at Wolves across social media as well. We're going to talk more uh, with Steve Frogger and especially about his differing roles within the team and whether he would fit into the modern day Wolves or not when we get into the show in just a second. Um, I say at WV Build Supplies on Twitter is our sponsor's uh, Twitter account. Give them a follow if you can. And the show is coming next. Wolverhampton Building Supplies is your one-stop shop for all building and DIY products. And now they're giving listeners of the Old Gold Club an extra 10% off of the already low prices. It doesn't matter if you're a professional builder or just looking to put up a shelf at home. Just tell them in store that you listen to the Old Gold Club and you'll get an even better price in store. So check them out online at wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk then head to their yard at 372 Bilston Road, Wolverhampton or give them a call on 01902 500 140. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, as ever, is Mr. Chris Owellamo. And our guest this week spent four years at Molyneux from 1994 to 1998. Welcome to the club, Mr. Steve Frogger. Thank you very much. Um, how's it feel to be back here? It's always great to come back here. Um, you know, I've, I've been many times over the years in a commentary position working with the media. 
um, and it brings back such special memories. It, it's not until you get to my age. I was 46 last week, so it seems an awful long time ago since I, I actually left the club. But you appreciate more and more, and Chris would get this as an ex-player now, the, the fun times, the bad times, everything to do with being part of a football club. But I had four incredibly special years here. Because uh, we were just talking before we started recording and we've done a little bit on the podcast about how I feel you would fit in to the modern Wolves and you were telling me about just how impressed you've been by the team that we have now and it's kind of that element of, I don't know whether you realise like how you're, you, know, you were part of that group that first tried the big push to get to the Premier League and to be a top team and it's kind of like you're part of the journey to get to where we are now. It's funny, in a nice way, I'm a little envious because you look at the team and the quality of players they've, they've got now. And I, I watched the Chelsea game at the weekend and I was so impressed with their organisation. That Every player, they must do hours of work on the training ground on where to be. But also with improved quality players comes with that sort of quality of thought Players know what to do. They can man-manage on the pitch. So the better the players you play with, they know how to deal with it, an in-match situation. They don't necessarily need to rely on the manager. They know how to cope with it on the field. Um, you know, when I first came to the club, we only had we had a relatively small squad. You know, we didn't have the luxury of having a fifteen million pound player on the bench. And, and our big our big issue was is that we had we had five or six injuries to key players in that first year when we were top of the league. And and that causes huge damage in the end. But it's kind of relevant, though, isn't it? Like it's relative. I mean, you were one of um, four players that Wolves spent a million pounds or more on in that summer of 1994. Neil Emblem, Don Goodman, Tony Daly, and yourself. And I was working this out, and I don't know whether this is absolutely for definite, but it from the list that I saw. <laughs> you were the 20th highest fee that was paid by an English club that year and the highest was Chris Sutton who went from Norwich to Blackburn who was the first £5 million player. So only five times what you were transferred for which in in the modern game, £5 million to a million, it's not, it's not a huge amount. I it? saw that list, yeah. It's, it's fascinating when you look back in time as to what, what the fees were. But the start of the season, you know, we got off to an absolute flyer. And I will always say to this day, the one thing that really crippled Wolves was Tony Daly's injury in pre-season. We were bought to play in tandem yeah. on either wing. Yeah. I don't think I ever played a game with Tony in my entire four years at the football club in tandem at all. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that had he have been fit that first season, we'd have won the league by 20 points because... By around about Christmas time, we were—I'm sure—we were ahead by seven, eight, nine points at one stage, and then five of us had real serious injuries, and and then the problem began. Then we started to drop down the league, and we ended off in, ended up in the playoffs, but we didn't replace any of us because I think partially because I think every we all thought we would be back before the end of the season. We didn't yeah. realise the severity of the injuries we all actually had, and that and that that really caused great difficulties in terms of of getting out of the division that year. You, you hear a lot about the, the fee for a player that puts them under certain pressures, you know, obviously with that amount of money when you come to a club. What, how, how, did you, how did you deal with that? I loved it. I hated being a kid in a massive pond. I, I, I actually left the team that came runners-up in the Premier League and won a cup final. Yeah. So dealing with pressure was, was a nothing for me. I wanted to be a bigger fish in a slightly smaller pond, if you know what I mean. I wanted the responsibility. I wanted to be the go-to player. I wanted to be have that responsibility on my shoulders to, to come to a club. And the thing for me, I knew how massive this club could be. Yeah. The support and 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 the fact. I mean, Graham. When Graham signed me, it was a no-brainer for me. I, I signed as much for him as I did for the club because he signed me as a 14-year-old boy when I was at Aston Villa. He then, I then got in the England under 21s when he was the England manager, and then he he tried to sign me for Wolves, and, and it was coming to the end, and it, it was a it was a real tough decision because Aston Villa offered me a contract; they wanted me to stay. There were things that went on behind the scenes that I thought I, I needed to get away, and then I had I actually had last minute talks with Liverpool, but I'd already shaken hands with Graham, right, and, and the, the, the you know the, the weight of guilt on my shoulders. Because it obviously turning down a possible move to Liverpool was a big thing at the time. Because I played with Jamie Redknapp yeah. in the under-21s, so I knew a lot of the boys in the uh, Steve McManaman and a few of the lads. 
but I'd given I'd gave Graham my word and 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 then you know obviously I, I signed but also as well the pull was Paul Birch was here who was I was his boot boy when I was at Aston Villa and Tony Daly who who was best man at my wedding as well so there were, there were lads here who I knew really well and I was absolutely convinced we'd we'd go up absolutely not you know and and the first few weeks of the season that solidified that I just yeah. thought we we looked so powerful and so strong in that first six months of the season so what went wrong injuries it really, simple simple as that uh, nothing else other than injuries that that and the infamous uh, John McGinley punch yeah but we should never have got into the player we should have that should have been automatic promotion all day long yeah we can't I don't want to cry over spilt milk about a head, which to one of my big pals, David Kelly, I know, uh, you know, the headbutt was a massive influence, yeah. but there were still quite a few of us who never played in those playoffs because we were still injured. Yeah, we, we you know, we were top of the league and flying actually in the normal, and then we we lost four or five of us, and then we sort of dropped from top all the way down into the playoffs. And I don't, I don't think we ever actually really recovered from that. We should have gone up that year, but is it? Is it a luck element? Because you mentioned the injuries and the amount of you that that had serious injuries at that point and missed you know a good stretch of it, and then that kind of happens in the playoff semi final as well. Is luck? Does that play a part? Do you look at it and just go? Do you know what we were just it wasn't meant to be for us? I don't think it's a play you want to bemoan bad luck. I, I, it was, the circumstances just dictated that. You know the footballing gods weren't shining on us that year, and it, it was re- it was really hard for me, Mikey, because my injury was far worse than first off. So I, I did I did my ankle against Reading. It was it was it was a horrific tackle that took me out, and when I came back, it was before the end of the season. I thought I'm going to be okay. Anyway, my ankle just wasn't right. I'd, I'd been out for two or three months, and I was trying to get on it, and I kept saying to the physio, "There's something not quite right here." So we went for a scan and they found out that actually my ankle was basically shattered and I needed to have a full ankle ligament reconstruction. So then when I came back from that four or five months later, I then went, started training, getting back into it again. And I felt exhausted in a way that I've never felt before, in a really strange way. I was losing weight. I, honestly, I look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. I, I, I just look drained. I mean, the thing is... I, I look, I look back at pictures of me with a kit on and I, I, I look like one of those uh, base jumpers. Have you ever seen a picture yeah, of me as a player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had these skinny legs, skinny arms. I was about nine stone wet through. But this particular time, I looked like I was a week away from death. So I went, I went, we, I went to have tests at the Nuffield in Wolverhampton. Anyway, within five minutes, there was major issues. They'd realised that my oxygen level was dangerously low. And then when they scanned me, they realised, and no one had picked up on this before, I, I had something, I've got double femoral veins, which apparently one in 30, 40 million people have, where if you have a blood clot, it forms a blood clot and you know straight away. When you've got femoral veins, the blood clot can go at one vein and can be hidden. And when they scanned me, I had blood clots fired all around my heart and lungs. I was a, I was a, a day away from dying, literally. Wow. I, we had a game on the Wednesday. Had I played in the game, they said you literally could have died. Which was, in hindsight, it's quite scary. I can laugh about it now, but it was quite scary. So I don't know whether I could laugh about and, it at any point. And the, sir, the, doctor, the, the, the consultant said to me, you've got to quit football. He actually said to me, you've got to retire from football. You can't, you can't do this. And I went, well, that, that's not an option on my table. So how are we going to get around this? So we went, I had to have a course of blood thinners and, and then obviously we're flying. I had, to, I had to be really careful from there on in about how I live my life and not to allow stress to affect me because stress can bring on blood clots. And yep. So I had, I had to totally change the way I thought about football and, and actually life, which is really weird. You, you just said the other stress brings it on, but that as well as trying to keep yourself at a certain level to go out and perform, and that, it just doesn't make sense. It's not possible. I'm, I'm just trying to get it through my head here. Medication helped yeah. because obviously I had to keep the blood thin. I there were certain things I couldn't eat, drink, you know, things that would make make it worse. I mean, I'd, I'd never suffered a problem with it. I would say Touchwood now since. Mm. So obviously, when I go on flights now, I have to be really careful. I make sure I take aspirin, especially on long long haul flights, because I'm prime candidate for getting something. So yeah, I mean that was a really scary time. But but the, the worst thing about that period was it was not that. Funnily enough, it was me being in a hospital bed when Wolves were getting beat the start of the following season and Graham got sacked. And, f- and that was a hammer blow to me because I, that's the only regret I've ever had in football. 
was that and, and it wasn't my fault I didn't you know I wasn't to know I was going to be out for well over a year with this injury and yeah. the blood clots and everything else it was just a horrific string of circumstances yeah. that led to that but Graham went too early for me I, I, I'm still absolutely convinced we'd have been promoted with him at the helm at some stage because that's what, why I talk about uh, luck and, and listening to you talking about being potentially one game away one day away from uh, for potential fatal issues Seems silly talking about luck now, but it's that element of uh, things conspired against that team almost. You know, you, you had that situation yeah. and, and you're there and there were other people and we've spoken to people in that group. You know, Tony Daly yep. has been on the podcast, Jeff Thomas has been on the podcast and you all kind of have that similar view that could, we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't be there. It, yeah, it was such a shame because they were such a brilliant group of lads. I mean... We, you know, we, we still get together if we can once a year, at least once a year now. The, the boys are all really busy all over the place working, but we all, we all, you know, 25 years later, still make a conscious effort to try and keep in touch and see each other. And, and the first thing we always talk about when it happens, first thing, how did we never get promoted? It's the first thing everybody says. We still laugh once a year now about, you know, the, the look we did or didn't have or, or whatever. But I'm convinced had that team have got promoted... They did them really well in the Premier League because there's quite a few boys who actually then went back to the Premier League a few years later who went on to be quite successful. Because the, obviously the the next big opportunity was the um, playoff defeat to Crystal Palace, but you didn't feature in that one either. And I was, I was another long-term layoff I had. So I, I had two long-term layoffs really whilst I was um, here. Yeah, and I missed out. It, it, was, a, it was a real shame because... Again, you feel you feel helpless, don't you? You get to the point where you get you know you, you help the team into a position where you get into the playoffs, and you sat there and you just feel useless because you want to be out there helping your teammates, and you you know through one through another bad tackles was usually the case with me, yeah. and I couldn't play. How how did you deal with that then? You know, because like you say, we spoke earlier about uh, the, the the player today. Not, not kind of. I guess in adverse, adverse situations, are they prepared for it? Have they went through situations that have? You did go through these things. You were tough, and like we, we grew up with nothing. Yeah. You know. So how did you deal with that? That must have been effective. I went through depression myself. I've spoke open about it. But those moments when you think you've came to Wolves because you can see the potential there, you wanted to be the the main man, and which is which is that I think you've got to have that drive as a footballer, haven't you? But how did you? That must have affected you mentally. I think after being told I could have died while I was played in a game, completely changed my my outlook on on football and life. I just thought, some situations you just can't change, can you? And what what I particularly hated about being injured was those long, long days of being stuck in the gym on your own, and 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 it was awful. And actually, it. It became. I just got bored sometimes, and and I got restless, and I got irritated, and you know you go through spells of anger, and it's it's your partner in at home that has to deal with that. You yeah. you sort of front up at, at the football club and pretend you're okay and you're not. But I used to I used to be, I used to play awful tricks on the lads in the dressing room because um, I remember Stowell, Mike Stowell came in this one day and he spent I think he was two hundred and fifty pound on a really nice pair of shoes. So I went home next day and I brought a Stanley knife in. And I cut the soles out the bottom of his shoes and stuck a bit with a little bit of light glue in. And I remember him coming in and putting his foot through the shoe. Never, we never told him who did it. <laughs> and we had a spell list. Don Goodman came in with a brand new, I think it was a Hugo Boss suit. It was a really nice suit. So when he went out for training, we got duct tape and put Adidas three stripes all the way down his suit, both sides, all the way down his legs. Anyway, when he came back and pulled it off, he pulled off his arm off of his, of his suit jacket. So this went on for quite a few months. And now I knew I was playing with fire with some of the senior players. And the thing is, if you give it out in football, you've got to expect to get it back. Yeah. Anyway, so we were playing Middlesbrough away. And I'd got on the coach and I thought, OK, it was a really hot weekend that weekend. Unbeknown to me, the boys had been plotting to get me back. So one of them had nicked my car keys took an imprint of... It was the old-fashioned one. We, the, the, so they took a print... And they'd all been saving sour milk for weeks. So they'd all left pints of milk outside for weeks on end. They took open my car, it was a convertible, and they poured pints of sour milk all over my leather seats in the car. So we've gone away for the weekend to Middlesbrough on a steaming hot weekend. I came back, opened my door, and I went, I nearly threw up in my car. The stench of the car. I had to take my roof down on the way home. The, the, the lads were crying because they, they knew what they'd done. And it was that situation again where... 
you've got to take it on the chin, haven't you? You know, if you're dishing it out, you've got to on take it the other way. I had the car valeted seven times. In the in the end, I had to sell the car, Chris, because it stunk that badly. No matter how much I cleaned the car, I had to get rid of the car. How did they know it was you? Surely you... I think, I think someone had grasped me up in the end. So, so you confided in someone that it was you I, behind all the... Yeah, yeah. So they've let you so Hang on, who, who did you confide in? Who's the who's the snake? I mean, it could be anybody. I mean, the thing is, it could have been. I mean, you know, I mean, it was name really name fun. Steve. I had it coming to me, and then then actually then then when Robbie saw, when Robbie came into the team, I took Robbie under my wing, and he became my partner in crime. So we used to start doing it together. Robbie Keane. Yeah, is. Robbie. This wasn't Robbie at the time, the first time round, but when Robbie actually kept, broke into the first team at a later date, when you know, um, under Mark McGee. Then, then I took him under my wing and he, he became my accomplice in most of the things that we did in the dressing room. Come on, Steve. I want to know who I want to know who shopped you to everybody. Well, I don't know. Because we're going to get them on this programme. <laughs> <laughs> but that kept me... That, that actually, when you talk about... That, Chris, kept me sane. With, without that sort of laughter and the, the, the jokes we used to have in the dressing room. I remember winding Bully up all the time. And he always, he always got me back. Because when, when I first signed for the club, I could not understand a word he said. N- not a clue. So me and Tony Daly, we, we, we were sat down in the dressing room and Bully was talking to us. And I was just nodding away. And I'm looking at Dale thinking, you understand a word he's just said? So we, we used to have this thing, and Bully was brilliant. He, 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 because because he was, it was strange for him because all of a sudden the club was spending big money on players. So he was the main man and, and, and he, he actually was adopted us really well he, he helped us integrate into the side and he was fantastic but if I wound Bully up you know Bully's got a grip like a vice don't yeah, you yeah. right so with my little spindly legs I used to go for a massage every morning and Bully sometimes took over the massage without me knowing <laughs> oh my oh my life he used to grab my how I was never injured for six weeks after Bully grabbing me I'll never know because he used to get in and stick because he's really strong Bully isn't he you ever shook his hand yeah. it's, like a, it's like a vice isn't it <laughs> So, you know, it, it was just, it was a, it was a great time. And, and the other th- thing as well with Bully, he deserved the chance of playing the Premier League. And that was a, some, another reason I was gutted for him because we never did it on his watch yeah. either where, you know, he'd shown such great loyalty to the football club and he deserved to play in the top flight at some stage, but, but sacrifice that to, to stay here. Um, you talk about Bully being strong. There is an infamous game that I wanted to ask you about. It was at Bolton. January 1997 so it's a couple of years on from what had happened in the playoffs and it's there was a a 22 man brawl (laughs) of which reportedly Bully took two shots to the chin and still stayed up were you in the fight? I don't think I was. Were you one of the 22 or were you one of the others? Being nine stone wet through, I would have been definitely on the periphery of that one. <laughs> See, the thing is, I was, I, I was always smart as a winger. When the ball came in, for, I was always the one on the edge of the box watching all the elbows flying around. That wasn't for me, none of that. <laughs> but do you remember that fight? Because yeah. I think it, somebody, there's a report that suggests that it was Mark Venus and John Sheridan that started it and everybody else piled in. I mean, in them time, there was argy bargy nearly every game. I mean, I mean the tunnels. I, I can't remember most games where there was something not kicking off in a tunnel after a game, especially in the local derbies as well. They, you know, they they got a bit frisky at times. Now we're talking. Yeah. So who on Albion did you punch? Me, nobody. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit. I'm a bit bigger now than I used to be. I I just couldn't put weight on in them days. Uh, but you know, when we, when we went to Albion, we we beat them four two at the Hawthorns. That was that was tasty. All round the pitch, and off it, and off it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The game, they, they, they you know, things that. Well, you just wouldn't what, get away with them now, Chris. Do, do you, what do you see that as? I see that as a. I see that as a negative in today's game. You know, I think that was part and parcel of it. You know, I played in a lot of derbies and. You st- you, I used to love those. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You see it as a negative I do, I, I, that I, players aren't fighting with no, each other now. No, you're taking it the wrong way. But that, <laughs> you know, like the, I guess the there's I. The challenges that come in and there's the off off the pitch, the the, the little argy bargy and the more like, everyone's a journalist. Like I done when I done my, yeah. my journalism degree, like anyone with a phone can be a can can be a journalist. They put the information out there, they can put it on social media, and it has it has affected a lot of things. Like we're hearing stories there of your uh, your little pranks and, and how it came back. That would be on that'd be news. That'd be news oh, yes. today. Yeah, you yeah. know, and that 
little little things that are, that's needed. I've, I've been first-hand, I've seen things happen, but I think things are, are slowly disappearing from the game. I'm not saying I'm all for it, but... <laughs> I, yeah, 22-man brawls have disappeared from the but, game. No, but it does. It's, there's, there's, a, there's a bit to it. Like, there's a derby. Like my, one of my good friends, Saji Burton, played for Port Vale. I played for Stoke. We signed at the same time. We were close. We we killed each other in, in, in the game. Like, we absolutely, But after the match, it was... It was part, we went and had the drink together. But in the match, you are enemies. Well, that's the big that's This is the great difference, Chris. Is I found that once the foreign players started to, to come in a lot, there was not a drinking culture. So we would have a we would literally kick lumps out of each other in a derby day, and you're going to have a pint with them. Yeah. And you'd shake hands. And that's how it was dealt with. The trouble was dealt with over a pint, finished, until the next derby day. Yeah. And then it all kicked off again. And for me, that was great fun because they always had that spar, that edge. Derby days were the best. I, it was it was the one game that I, I always really used to look forward to. Um, talking of games that you must have looked forward to, obviously the, in your final season at Wolves, the FA Cup run. Yes. Um, we talked a little bit about it with Don because obviously he played a big part in the quarterfinal, but you missed. I missed the quarterfinal, but played in the I played in the semi final. And to come so close. And you know there was a fans will always point to the fact that you know they suggest Mark McGee got the team wrong that day. You're not in. You agree? Yeah, no, I I I think he got it completely wrong on the day. Um, I mean, that, for me, that that day was really special on so many ways. I mean, obviously, I, I was going back to Villa Park for the first time to go and see the stadium full of black and gold, and that they outsang Arsenal for the entire ninety minutes. They were just sensational. The fans that day, but. As much as the team was wrong, I, I mean, the strike—he got the strikers completely wrong. I don't, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. We didn't have enough movement up front. We didn't have enough pace up front to to try try and beat the players that they had. But that was a great Arsenal side. That team went on to win the double that year. I mean, we're talking—they had the best central pairing partnership, I think, in world football at that time. And I know people might say Roy Keane and Paul Scholes. But I'm telling you, Patrick Vieira and Emmanuel Petit were just phenomenal. They were six foot four, could they could they could mix it, they could win everything in the air. And that was the big I think they were that good in the in the centre of the park that they, they actually controlled the game. And as a player, when you're playing in a game where you know they're controlling it, it's very difficult because most of the time I was playing wing back, we couldn't get forward enough. And that was a real shame because I, I had the beating of Grimondi. I had him. I, I knew I'd had him. He wasn't quick enough. I could, but we just couldn't get the ball. We didn't, re, you know, retain possession enough to to do it. That 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 you said there that he got the team wrong that day. Now that that group of players were they had some big voices in that that dressing room as yeah. well. Now I'm sure that 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 opinion's echoed. What does do anyone approach the manager? Is that is that I'm just saying? Did they have that chat? To the manager about the team selection because because it, it does it will be uh, I guess it will hit the hit, everyone knows what their what everyone will have an idea of what their team is yeah when he when he says the team surely there's a bit oh what's going on here or not I think I think I think the controversial I think what you you're alluding to is Steve Claridge playing would be the one I think I think that's the main thing everybody was looking at yeah the fact that there was no bully or Robbie Keane yeah I th- that that was clearly for me that was a mistake because. On the day Steve was in effect, Steve didn't have a great time at Wolves. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he did terrific everywhere else. You know, if you look at his record, yeah. he was a great goal scorer. Steve, he was, but it, it didn't happen from where we were, and, it, and we were quite surprised as a group of players when he named the side and and Steve was starting. Um, you know, it, it was made for Bully, particularly to wrestle against the the powerful centre half. That but that that was made for Bully that game. Because he would have made it really difficult for them, and they wouldn't have maybe have had as much possession from the central areas to play through, and then dominate as, as they they would have done through the central areas. Because it's like you mentioned, Bully. It felt like almost like Bully's last hurrah. It's you know that thing because a lot of people have said you know he never got to play in the top division. Yeah, you know he'd, he'd come close, and whether you guys felt that you know like this is the one last chance that maybe as a group of them because you were still young at the time I was yeah yeah but there's still a couple of guys in there that you know that's the last chance to get to that final to it have was. that big moment I think in hindsight again looking at the game I think we you know we should have been we should be proud of ourselves because we gave the best team in the country a game mm-hmm. at that time <laughs> and we had players missing 
Now, Simon Osborne wasn't available. Who would have helped with the retention of the ball in the middle of the park? We, we had people missing. Obviously, Robbie didn't play. Bully didn't play. Yet we were only beat by the double winners 1-0. And we, we gave them a, a real game. And the, the, the goal killed it because once they'd scored, they just, they just controlled the game. Had we have got ahead in that game, it might have been more interesting. And you went at the end of that season. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was, again, that was a real surprise to me because the start of the following year, I'd had a full pre-season. I'd played my longest string of games in a Wolf shirt without any major injury problems. Um, and I spoke, I'd actually spoken with Mark McGee and I said, right, I'm ready to stay because I saw the new side he'd put, we'd put together with Robbie and, and Dean Rich and all the lads in there thinking, this is going to be a really good team. There's some real genuine quality in it. So I went to Mark and said, right, because I'd signed a one-year extension the year before. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm ready to commit my future to the club. I want a four-year deal. I'm happy because I can see what the club's trying to do now. Absolutely fine. And then I was told then I wasn't getting a contract, which I thought was really bizarre because I was only 24. 24, yeah, I think I was about 24. 24, 25. 24, 25. So I, was, I wasn't even near the peak of my... And you had that chat yourself, not an agent, nothing like that? No, this was, this was directly with the, the hierarchy of the football club and the manager. Right. And, it, and Mark McGee wanted, wanted me to stay, but people up above had said they were cashing in, in effect. And, and also that Robbie Keane was going to get sold not long after me. Uh, so that, that came as a massive shock because we were flying at the start of that season. We made a really strong start to the league. And then I got that information that I was actually going to be sold, whether I liked it or not. And that was, that was, it, was it, it was hard to take because I, I kind of felt like I'd left and I wasn't ready to go because it was unfinished business because I'd never got the team promoted. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like as a player, once, once you're told that, that you're going to be sold, then you just get on with it, I guess. And, and that, that's what happened in the end. Because um, you were linked to Liverpool and Middlesbrough. Yes. I think that's right, before you ended up at Coventry. That's right, yeah. Well, I actually went up to I actually went up and I talked to Middlesbrough. And it was, it was, again, that was bizarre because they offered me Paul Merson's house up on the, the, is it the Wynyard Estate? Wynyard, yeah, they've got an estate up there called the Wynyard Estate. So I've gone in there and obviously Merson had left in a hurry because his house was full of his clothes, his TVs, <laughs> his beer, his fridge was full of beer. Uh, but it it just didn't sit right. I mean, I, I've always been a family man. I, I keep, I try and, you know, I've always tried to keep myself to myself in a way, you know. Um, and the move there wasn't right for me. So I then went and spoke with Gordon Strachan. And that was bizarre because Mark McGee was Gordon Strachan's best man at his wedding. Well, you know this big man better than anybody. They, they were massive powers, weren't they? Yeah. So so it, obviously, I think it caused a bit of trouble between the two of them. Because Gary McAllister came and watched me a couple of times. And then I'd had a meeting with Gordon. And then that was it. The move was done. And then not long after, as predicted, Robbie came and joined me. So what, what they told me from above was actually did actually happen in the end. So they were I, I think I think at the time Sir Jack had just decided that he'd spent an awful lot of money on the football club. He, he, I don't think he felt like he was getting the return he wanted at the time. Mm-hmm. And Sir Jack was I mean he was great. He was brilliant with me all the way through. And the thing is he was always honest. honest that's what you want. He, he never you know when you get some people Chris where they say one thing and you know they're lying. Yeah. With Sir Jack, he just told you how it was. There was no mincing with him, no no lies. And I, and I always respected him hugely for that. Um, so you know, the decision was made. But I, I just felt it was a real shame because I thought we had the basis of something. And then three or four years later when Dave Jones took over, he then went and spent big that's again. That's business though, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's a businessman thinking, right, you know what, I threw a lot of money at it. Well, not quite getting the return, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I'm going to regroup again, take yes. my, sell my assets. And then when I think the right, the time's right again, I'll go at it Absolutely. again. Absolutely. And that's, and that's what that he is, did. Because football is a business now as well. Yes. It's got to be run pitch side and the, the commercial side of it as well. It's all got to go, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has, yeah. But it, but it left me feeling like I'd, I'd left before my time was ready. It, yeah. it wasn't like I said I wanted to leave because I'd asked, for, I'd asked for a long-term contract to stay. And I was 24 thinking, well, you know, I'm not even close to my prime yet. But but in, I was lucky. I went to Coventry and I, you know I played in the Premier League again and got in the England squad. So I, I can't complain. It's not anything I'm moaning about. But when you look back, I think you know it. it the, the Wolves situation is the one thing for me. Not getting promoted was the one thing that sort of rank, rankles for me. I joined that time. The old goal club. 
powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. For the best price locally, head to wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk. So that was the show, on with the podcast. Um, Looms is fascinated by your blood clots story. I mean, it's incredible. Well, it's, when I when I got... Uh, when we got promoted to Premier League, I broke my foot out in Australia. So I flew back and then I had an operation uh, two days after. So for the next three months, I had to inject myself in the stomach for yeah. one, for, for blood clot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm just, you had you had a few all over you, one right next to your heart, which basically is, is fatal. Yeah. Well, and the reason why that was is because I'd had a major operation, I'd had an ankle ligament reconstruction, which is an enormous operation all yeah. by itself. But what, what obviously happened where if you have a blood clot, normal people, you would know you got a blood clot because your leg would swell up. You'd have the thrombosis. Yeah. But because of the, the way my my internal veins are worked, it was just firing clots up. And that's why when they when they took my oxygen levels, they were like virtually non-existent, which and then they realised there was a major issue. I have to say, you so you're sitting in front of the specialists. They've said this to you, and they've, they've said you have to walk away from the game. You never. Well, he wasn't a football man. So clearly... When he told me that, I said, I said to him, well, that, that's never going to happen. So what we got on the table from here? I said, I can't. What was his reaction like, to that? He just looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but he was obviously a surgeon. A, a, you know, he, he didn't see, he just saw somebody who had this issue where you can't do that ever again. You've got to have a normal desk job or do something normal in life. You can't do what you're doing anymore. I'm in, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. I know I know what you're saying about not being a football man, but that can be, I guess, a positive as well that he's looking at from outside. And I think it's a big decision, a big decision to say, you know what, that's that's not going to be happening. What's what's the plan? You know, obviously. Yeah, I mean, because it wasn't. I mean, obviously, I, I had to retire with an injury after a bad tackle yeah, years later. Yeah. Well, you accept that because it's a football injury, and I can't, if you can't play anymore, you can't run about. But this was something I, you visibly couldn't see internally. You know, it's like, well, okay, yeah, I've I've been playing from the age of twelve. I've never had a problem with blood clots. So you know, you telling me now, why would it be an issue now? I guess the issue would have been if I had any more injuries or, you know, if I ham- even, he was saying even like a hamstring tear, the, 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 blood, the generation of blood could possibly be fatal to you. And that's literally, so every time I had a little kick in training, I was, I was having to take things to, to make sure I never, it never clotted or become an issue. It's fascinating. And I keep coming back to this idea that um, luck and things that go against you because, in your Wolves career, you end up missing out on two playoff campaigns that could have seen you get promotion. You have the FA Cup semi-final, so you nearly get to the FA Cup final pot. And then when you've moved on and you're at Coventry and you are flying in the Premier League and you get a call up to England, it's then that you get a horror tackle and you get injured and that's it for your career. Right, it's, it's, the thing is... I had, I've been so blessed with such a lucky career. I mean, I get the same reaction from everybody. Oh, put, I get the poor me when people meet me in the streets. I go, don't poor me. A, I'm alive after what I've been through. Yeah. B, I played in the Premier League. I played in a team that came runners up in the Premier League. I played at a, a you know, brilliant club in Wolves, played in FA Cup semi-final, got to two playoffs, then went to Coventry, played in the Premier League, got in the England squad. Why, why, would, why would I think poor me? I had 10 years in the game. There's lads who never get the chance ever in a lifetime. And this, well, the funny story I would say was I was on the bench against Scotland at Hampden Park when we had a double header where Scalzi scored two headers. And I was on the bench. Anyway, I, I, my wife's due our child. So I, about a week before, I've said to my missus, look, don't answer the phone to anybody. Don't talk to anybody because they're, they're going to be after a story for you. So we've come flown. We've, flown, we've the day before of the Scotland game, headline in the news of the world is Mrs. Froggett lies back and thinks of England. She's spoken with the press guy about the baby being due at any time. So Kevin Keegan flew me home. My wife went into labour on the late on the Saturday night after the Scotland game. Gave birth on the Sunday morning. Went back to the England squad at night time. And Kevin Keegan uh, threw with like a. I'm going to say it's a party, but it was, it was like a, a, an evening meal. Yeah. Gave me a great big bottle of champagne. And my dining partner for the night was David Beckham. Okay. So, so it, it's just made for my daughter's wedding. Like when, when she's getting married, it's like, you know, when you were born, that very night I'm having dinner talking about babies with David Beckham because he just had Brooklyn at the time. Right. It was just, even now, even now it just seems so surreal and bizarre. And then on the Tuesday night we're playing Scotland, 
And Kevin Keegan said to, he said to me as I was walking out, he said, I was going to play you tomorrow night. He said, but I think it's too much. And actually, he was right. I think the whole emotion of first call-up, wife giving, but it was just too much for me. And, and Don Hutchison scored the winner. So as we were walking off the pitch, he said, I should have gone with my gut feeling and played you. He said, but I promise you, you'll play against Brazil and the Ukraine, the next two friendlies. The following weekend against Sunderland, the tackle, I never played again. <laughs> so when you talk about, you know, bad luck, you can look at it and think, well, you know. But again, I, I don't see it as bad luck. I see things are meant to happen for a reason. I've always believed that. Sure. And you've got to make the best of every situation you're in. And I was very lucky to have had 10 great years in the game. You have that. It's a, it's incredible how positive you are by it. And I know you say that everyone keeps saying this to you, but it is, and it, it says a lot about your character. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, people say that, but I just think you know, I've had, I've had, you know, I when I was a player, I liked to have. I was always one to be involved with the bands with the lads. I used to love getting involved with it, and even you know, you know, stories since you know, Jeff reminded me of a story where where I'd, I'd been retired now, and this this is funny. My missus was, has been a model for 25 years. So I'm at a loose end, and, and she says, listen, they need a they need a bloke. So in our family, we, there's three good-looking people, and normally the only thing I would model would be balaclavas in, in my family, right? <laughs> so so these three look fantastic. So we, we've gone to uh, a Land Rover thing, and it's a born-free campaign. She said, literally, all you've got to do is turn up, stand next to us, get paid, you're gone. I went, great, I'm, I'm all over that. Turned up there, makeup artist. So, so Steve, we're, we're going to paint you as a lion. I'm looking at my missus. I'm, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. And she, so, I'm painted now as Lenny the lion. They've actually, they've actually sprayed my hair and have painted me as a full-on lion. It's gone outside, and photographers, by their nature, they, you know, they're like, come on, do this, do that. So, they said after three, you've got to go. Rah! I'm not having it at this point. So I'm like at the end of the queue going, Rrr. so Mrs. and the kids are all giving it a thought and my wife's digging me in the ribs. I went, so I'm fuming. So I'm that annoyed with her and them that I've got in my car and sped off down, down the, the, the A45. Little did I know, I got done by two separate speed cameras on the way down where they've taken a front on picture. So it wasn't ones behind me, <laughs> it's the one at the back. So that I then get a photograph from Wolverhampton Police Station, and this makes it even worse because it wasn't even in Wolverhampton, but I've got a, 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 a notice. And then when you think three months later, where was I on that day? And I said to Mrs, where were we that day? She said, that was the day we, you had the lion thing. I went, you are kidding me. Because I was on nine points as well, right? So I was on nine points staring a ban in the face. So I've, <laughs> I've requested the photograph just to make sure, oh yeah, no mistaking, on picture me dressed as a lion lions here. I thought they must be killing themselves in the police station right so I've, I've then because I'm on nine points I've had to go to court to plead my case because I was I was doing a six month ban in the, in the face yeah. well we live in the middle of nowhere and uh, my kids were at school and I, I wasn't earning an income at the time so I was, I was out of the game and my wife was working so I thought I can't not have my car so my friend who's a, a, a Sikh Barrister said to me, "Listen, don't go with some some um, fancy lawyer. We hate that. Just come in, be honest." And he and he told me the things I should say. So I said, "You know," my, and they're all true. I wasn't lying about it. Kids are in school. I have to take them to school. Blah 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 blah. And I think the judge took pity on me when he saw if this lad's got to make a living by dressing like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he gave me suspended three points, and I, wa- I walked out of the court. I thought, how have I got away with that? <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, that was the end of a, a very bad modelling career. <laughs> right, let's get into the rundown. I love this. And this is your opportunity to have a go back at oh, some of your fabulous. teammates. I'll get into it. Uh, best player you played with at Wolves? Robbie Keno. Who was the worst trainer at the club? Steve Claridge. This is a proper rundown. Yeah. yeah. Biggest moaner at the club. Biggest moaner. Oh, Simon Osborne could moan for a World Eleven. Great lad, great little bit of Oh, he could moan. Oh, yeah, about everything, yeah. Um, who was your best friend at Wolves? Tony Daly. He was best man at my wedding as well, so. The best and most dressed? Best dressed, without a doubt, me. <laughs> <laughs> the best dressed... 
John DeWolf always looked pretty cool. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I, was, I didn't really notice that. Uh, I was definitely up there with the worst, there's no doubt about that. Uh, there, there were no lads, no, I can't remember any lads in the dress room that actually really... Jeff Thomas suggested... Oh, Jeff, that, Jeff, was, Jeff, Jeff liked his clothes, to be fair to Jeff, he was decent. Well, he suggested that Tony Daly was up there with you for the worst dressed. Oh, without any shadow of a doubt. <laughs> if, I, if I'd have come in rocking up with some of the stuff Dale's wore... If, you, if, if anyone gets a chance to see one of my wedding pictures, right, he looks like one of the flower pot men. He's turned up with a waistcoat, a flowery waistcoat, and I, I, I looked at him and went, are you kidding? It's my wedding. <laughs> but he used to wear rascal jackets. See, when, when, I first met, when I first started rooming with TD, he used to have these Versace, like, really leery jackets. Stupidly, I decided, oh, I'm going to look like Tony Daly. So I bought this rascal purple jacket. So first time I met my missus, I, I thought, I'm going to look really cool wearing this. She went, first thing she went, I can't go out with you looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to get rid of that jacket. So she, she, made, she made me bin it. Yeah. What do? <laughs> uh, exactly, yeah. Um, who was the funniest player that you played with at Wolves? Funniest, I would say. I would say because I knew him and the banter we had. Birchie, he was he was murder because he was one of those ones where he'd drop an angry grenade in the dressing room, Chris. We've all got one in every dressing room, and walk away, and we'd all be fighting. We'd it all kick off in the dressing room, and you could hear him sniggering as he's going down the down, down the. But he was at the heart of everything in the beginning. He he he, he was he was a nightmare plug was. We used to have a little gang of us who lived over in Sutton Coalfield. So it's me, Dave Kelly, Darren Ferguson, Birchie, and one or two others. So we used to drive in with each other sometimes. And Birchie was going through a spell where he was going, oh, I can't come today. I've got to go and see my mums." And and I knew the, I knew he was lying because he, he had the worst lying face ever. So I said, "Right, me, so me, Fergie, and Dave Kelly are in a car." So we followed him this one day, and he didn't realise he'd be going to the bookies every day. He'd actually been going to the bookies and lying about every single day about where he was going. So we actually went into the bookies. <laughs> oh, oh, did you bungle a bit? <laughs> His face was a picture. <laughs> the best manager that you worked for. Got to be without a doubt, Graham. And I think if you ask, you, you'll get most of the boys who come on here who will say Graham as well. Now, Dave Kelly, I know he said that before. D Graham was was more than a manager, Chris. I mean, he was like a father to me in so many ways yeah. because he, he signed his fourteen-year-old. He managed the club that I used to watch on the terraces, Lincoln City. Two of the lads who played striker, uh, John Ward, was a coach of mine who I used to watch as a striker at Lincoln okay. City. We had that much in common he, he, that all the way through my, my career, um, and I never. And, and it was the silly things with Graham. His man management was just like no manager I've ever known. He, 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 he always I, pulled me in his office all the time, and I thought, oh, what have I done now? There's always something I've done wrong. And he, um, he said, uh, he said, can you afford the house you bought? I'm thinking, what's he asking that for? And then he followed. He said, who's that strange woman I've seen in your house this morning? He'd been stalking me. He'd actually followed me home to see where I lived and went, well, A, you gave me the contract, so you should know I can afford the house. B, it was a cleaner. And he went, oh, thank God for that. He said, I thought you had an older woman. <laughs> <laughs> but it, he, his knowledge of his players yeah. and their families was unbelievable. I mean, anyone who, who worked with Graham here would know what a really good, a proper good man he was. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just everything about him was, was, was different class. What was the best goal that you scored for Wolves? Best goal? Well, I didn't score many. And it would be in the cup tie against Queen's Park Rangers, long range. I, I was uh, my, my game was all about making goals for other people. When I look back at old videos now, I was never... I didn't score many goals. In fact, it's it really funny because I scored, actually scored in my debut against Reading at home. And it was, I think it was the only, the only tap-in I think I ever scored in my career. But I was always... I made goals for the players. That that's what I always, you know, yeah. I, was my thing. I'm pretty sure you scored a pretty decent one against Huddersfield away. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I, just it sprung to my mind because we played Huddersfield recently, and I remember kind of uh, I found some footage of it, and it was you with quite big hair. It was big hair, yeah, quite big hair at the time. And and as you mentioned when you said before about the kind of the kit being quite big on you <laughs> honestly looms it's, it's ridiculous it's, it's like he's a child wearing an adult's adult's kit. honestly it is someone sent me a picture the other day 
of, of, of the, the actual the Arsenal game. And, I'm, and my arms are like that. I've got, I've got my position. And I look, you know, one of those, those jumpers who jump off the cliffs with the bat wings on. I actually look like I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, what was the best game that you were involved in? I would always say the 4-2 win at Albion. I had a, I had a hand in all four goals. Yeah. And that was so... Because I think it'd been... A, I don't... I, 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 have they beat them since in the Hawthorns? I'm not sure whether they have. I, I know the Mr. lads shaking their heads. I don't think they have. I think that still stands as the last time Wolves beat Albion at the Hawthorns yeah. and we beat them 4-2. And that's another funny one as well because that, 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 that game, Mark Venus came off the pitch and that was when we was having drug tests. He couldn't go to the toilet, Vino. He was there for two hours. In the end, the, the team bus had to leave the Hawthorns with Vino still in the toilet, not being able to go to the toilet. And I know he got into awful trouble with his missus because he was going to a wedding and turned up hours late because he couldn't, he couldn't pee in a bowl. But that was a great game. And I, I remember coming back here and the Wolves, the fans carrying us to our cars. They were that ecstatic Brilliant. that we'd gone there and beat them. And that was, you know, the, the West Midlands derby. Brilliant. Kids, we always ask, what's your proudest moment at Wolves? I guess that's going to be one of those up there. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, staying alive, I think, would be one of the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just won that question forever. I don't think anyone will ever come up with a better answer than that. Yeah, the the, the the Black Country derbies were the first year particularly because, I mean, we beat them two. I remember beating them two 0 at Molyneux, and I had a hand in one of the goals there as well. So, yeah, I mean, those derby games, the atmosphere was just off the scale. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, so you were pretty. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this because you said that. Um, you were a bit of a menace in that dressing room by the sounds of things. I wouldn't say a menace. I was just a young lad who liked who, who liked a prank or two and liked a bit of banter. But you forget, I was I was a really young lad in that dress. When I first came, I was 21 years of age, full of senior pros. So I was like the, the whippersnapper, that, you know, the little terrier snapping at all the old pros. I was one of them. And they just slapped me down when I, when I, when I became too annoying. <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you were quite willing to be slapped down there. You pushed uh, you pushed it. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I got my comeuppance in the end in, in various ways. <laughs> but you enjoyed it. Every, yeah, as I said, I've got nothing but very special memories. Of my four years here. I mean, the the fact that we you know we still get together with some of the lads now all these years later, and we still got on really really well. I think suggests that 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 was a group of players that that got on really well. Thanks for listening to The Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts.